This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. And good afternoon. Welcome. Sandy Clough, Sean Rotar on Mile High Sports, 98.1 FM, 107.5 HD3. Our caller text line is 303-831-1340. We are streaming on milehighsports.com slash listen, or if you choose to watch, milehighsports.com slash watch. And the free Mile High Sports app, our producers, the great Danny Bailey. And we are joined today by Dr. Rick Perea, sitting in for Sean Rotar, who is being uh, given a high school honor today. Yeah, heard Explaining his uh, absence, so we congratulate Sean on that. And he'll Hall talk fame, more right? about his uh, deal tomorrow. Yeah. I think it is something along the order of this big Hall of Fame week. Yeah. Randy Gratishar. Yeah. Uh, all but rubber stamped into uh, the Hall of Fame. I can't believe that out of 50 committee votes, there won't be 40 with Randy Gratishar's name right. on their ballot. Yeah. I, and the subcommittee, the 12-person senior committee, yeah. that recommended not only Randy Gratishar, but Art Powell, the old uh, wide receiver from the American Football League, who I thought was one of the five best receivers in the history of the American sure. Football yeah. League, along with Allworth and Maynard and uh, the like. Uh, you know, it's a, a huge honor, and a lot of those 12, uh, if not all of them, are also part of the 50 that vote. So their recommendation is more than just a suggestion. Yeah. It's a virtual mandate, and it's as close as Randy's ever gotten. Um I think that the assumption is that uh, Randy will be going in finally 36 years after his first eligible. And I said the other day, and you, you were part of the 1983 Bronco training camp, but yes, we sir. always talk about Bronco history um, as before Elway and after Elway, right? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the greatest pre-Elway Denver Bronco of them all was Randy Gratishar. Yeah. There's no doubt about that and as a defensive player in general yes. and a linebacker in particular yep. you know well of the greatness of Randy Gratishar. Yeah, you know back then it was a 3-4 defense and the two inside linebackers were called Mike and Zip. Yeah. And then the outsides were Wanda and Sarah. And so Randy one of the great true original Mike linebackers played inside out as good as anybody in the game. Very instinctual, very good at um, getting off blocks. Wasn't the most physical guy around. Wasn't a Dick Buckus kind and of guy. And I think that hurt him with yeah. Hall of Fame voters, that he wasn't Dick Buckus. Right. And that he wasn't Jack Lambert snorting at quarterbacks uh, across the line of scrimmage. Yeah. Uh, he, he was not a look-at-me right. type. That's he was right. not a huge hitter yeah. who was looking to knock your block off yeah. uh, every play. But he was a prolific tackler, yes. although uh, there was at least one very famous Hall of Fame voter who thought his tackle total was inflated by Joe Collier here in Denver. No. Uh, Randy Gratishar made 200 tackles a year on average. Yep. Uh, 
even if that was inflated, his 13 fumble recoveries weren't inflated. Yeah. His 20 interceptions weren't inflated. The three touchdowns he scored on fumbles and interceptions weren't inflated. Right. Um, he was the defensive player of the year in the National Football League in 1978. Even Vaughn Miller was never defensive player of the year, though Vaughn was a Super Bowl MVP. Randy Gratishar was first-team All-Pro in 1977 and 1978. He was a better player than Jack Lambert ever was. Uh, Jack Lambert played on Super Bowl champions in yeah. Pittsburgh and was surrounded, frankly, by defensive talent that was probably as good as Randy at here in Denver maybe even a little bit better, but I've always stipulated that Randy Gratishar was a better player than Jack Lambert, and Louis Wright was a better cornerback than Mel Blunt. I am not saying that Lambert and Blunt don't belong in the Hall of Fame. They do. But uh, I talked to Jeff Legwald several times about this. He's the Hall of Fame voter who uh, operates uh, here out of Denver, writes for ESPN.com, and has covered the NFL for years. Great historian. And he said... Uh, five or six years ago to me at the Super Bowl that the next order of business as far as getting Broncos into the Hall of Fame was obviously Randy Gratishar, number one. Number two was Lewis Wright. Number three was Carl Mecklenburg, yeah. in, in the opinion of Jeff Legwald. Uh, those are the priorities. So maybe now that Randy is in, we can get on to some of those other players and try to get them in too because they should be in. Louis Wright should be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. I think Carl Mecklenburg on – uh, the basis of uh, both longevity and brilliance and the ability to play seven different positions, whether it's a 3-4 <laughs> or 4-3, he can yeah. play all seven. Uh, it, that deserves a spot in, in the Hall of Fame. Uh, I'm not saying Carl Mecklenburg uh, had a career as good as the one that Mark Micah Parsons seems to be having with the Dallas Cowboys, mm-hmm. but they're very similar in that Micah Parsons can play a bunch of different defensive positions for the Dallas Cowboys. So anyway, that's that's the good Hall of Fame news. Uh, of the week, uh, unless you're going into a Hall of Fame sometime soon. I've already been inducted into my high school Hall of Fame, so You've how about that? already done it. <laughs> 2016. So you, you don't have that in your future. 2016. I, I'm, kidding I'm kidding you. I knew all about yeah, that. George Washington. George Washington, yeah. George Washington Patriots. You know, I want to comment about Randy, though. So, yeah. you know, Randy. Greatest prob- goal line defender I ever saw. Yeah, probably one of the best true Mike linebackers playing inside out Absolutely. with his hips and shoulders square Absolutely. to the line of scrimmage. Just a true, true pro. And you're right. It hurt him that he didn't showboat, that he didn't voice. I mean, let's think about this. Compare him to Ray Lewis in terms of after the play. Right. After the big play. What did Ray Lewis do versus Randy Gratishar would just turn and run to the sideline. Yeah. That's all he would do. Big play after big play after big play. But very deserving. I hope it all really goes through for him because um, very much deserving. So that old... Ohio State mystique. Yes. Uh, my defensive coordinator from college comes from that lineage. And and personally, I'd be very happy to see Randy make it because as a former linebacker myself, I just think he it was the epitome of a pro. Um, understanding how to play inside out, hips and shoulders square to the line of scrimmage, old style, yes. shedding blocks, getting off blocks, making plays. There's so many linebackers today, Sandy, that don't even have to get off blocks. The way the de- defenses are, are designed – the defensive linemen are taking down inter- all the interference. Right. But right. back then in a 4-3, he, he was taking on that guard almost every play, shedding the block and getting to the play. So more power to you, number 53. I hope it all, all comes through. Well, what a set of linebackers they had. And, and you oh. as an old linebacker can appreciate 
uh, that. I, I, I always thought they, they all were underrated, although Tom Jackson was flamboyant. Yeah. Uh, Tom Jackson was a hell of a player. Yep. Especially when you consider it by, by today's standards. Tom play at 225, 230. Oh, soaking wet. Soaking wet. Yeah. And and yet on, on the other outside position, there was Bob Swenson. Yes. Who, who did not have longevity, but had brilliance. And oh. I, I always thought Bob Swenson was a, as good a linebacker from the outside position as I ever saw until Lawrence Taylor came along. Yeah. And, and Bob Swenson played in an era where you could play receivers physically, particularly tight ends coming mm-hmm. off the line of scrimmage. And if you go back and look at the uh, famous 1977 AFC championship game of the Broncos and Raiders, Bob Swenson did as good a job covering Dave Casper that day mm-hmm. as anybody could do. Yeah. Now, you were allowed to do more things as a defender That's right. back then That's right. uh, to stop people like Dave Casper. But the week before, Dave Casper had all but single-handedly won a playoff game in Baltimore for the Raiders against the Colts, the then Baltimore Colts. And he came in here, and Dave Casper, being the great player he was, he had some numbers that day, but he really didn't hurt the Broncos all that much in a 2017 game in which, uh, you know, a player as great as Casper, Hall of Famer, could have made uh, a huge difference. And and Bob Swenson, uh, among others, but Bob Swenson primarily, uh, shot him down that day, and of course there was Joe Rizzo, the other yep. uh, inside uh, linebacker, yeah, uh, 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 who who was uh, Ken Stabler's nemesis uh, on a <laughs> famous October day in 1977 yeah. when the Broncos finally broke through the Raider mystique and knocked off uh, the Raiders in a game of consequence, and uh, then later on that year won the AFC Championship game, of course, against the Raiders. The Broncos hadn't beaten the Raiders two times, yeah. At, going back to the early 60s. I think. Yeah. You know, here's something. This is right out of linebacker university. So if you think about Bob Swenson, 220 soaking wet, but he had long arms. He was angular. He was very athletic, ran a 4'6", very athletic. Yeah. But here's the thing that when we're talking about these linebackers, Joe Rizzo, undrafted. Bob Swenson, undrafted. Exactly. And you know what that points exactly. to to me, Sandy, is Merle Moore Tom was Jackson out of Louisville, but yeah. not – a, right. a great college player, right? Or, or at least not a player of great renown. Yeah. yeah, but if you, the common denominator here is Merle Moore. Yeah. Merle yeah. Moore was Too a bad. tremendous linebacker coach. You know, yeah. although I was only coached by him for a short period of time, my goodness, I mean, he was so good at teaching footwork and technique, and he was a stickler on it. And assignment. Like, if you didn't know your assignments, because I got to tell you, you know, Kenny Woodard played behind Tom Jackson and then later became a starter at that, what we call the Wanda. Um, if you didn't know your assignment, Merle Moore was not going to have any of that. And Joe Collier wasn't oh, either. Oh, we, we they, saw that. Yeah. We and saw so, that play out. But I, I got to give a hand, you know, if Randy is indeed inducted, uh, hopefully Coach Moore is there because Coach Moore had so much to do with the development. Yeah. Of all four of those starting linebackers and their backups, Larry wow. Evans and and, and yeah, I, I would hope Joe Collier could make it. Too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But Bob Swenson, if you saw him with his shirt off, you'd think he was a swimmer. He yeah. wasn't very physical, but guy could play football. Oh, he could play. He'd get off blocks. He play. Yeah. Was angular. He was long in his arms, yeah. and and just credit to him. Joe Rizzo, kind of a lunch pail kind of guy, exactly. Just showed up and went to work. Merchant Marine Academy, <laughs> right? I think it was. Ever heard of that? Yeah. <laughs> 
They don't put a lot of guys uh, in the no, pros, but no, I'll tell no. you what, again. Joe Rizzo was the greatest player in the football player in the history of that uh, institution. Yeah. But, you know, he at that at that zip position, he uh, stuck his nose in there. He and, did. Uh, he took on blocks and made plays, just like the rest of them did. So, yeah. no, it's it's fun talking about those linebackers, and I'm excited for, for Randy if indeed it all works out for him. Well, uh, I came across this today. And uh, then we'll get on to uh, the somewhat more discouraging uh, news that developed today regarding the Broncos. Randy Gratishar, one of 19 players to make at least seven Pro Bowl teams and win an Associated Press Defensive Player of the Year award. The other 18 are all in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. And Randy should have been in there years, probably decades yeah. ago. Uh, but, yes, the other 18 on that list are all in camp. There's the, I mean, no question about it, Hall of Famers. That's empirical evidence right there. As a psychologist, we've got to have empirical evidence. Right. That's what we need. There it is. Sandy Clef, Dr. Rick Perea, sitting in for Sean Rotar today. I'm Sandy and Sean here on Mile High Sports. And uh, we, we have to get to the current news, discouraging as it is. And, it, again, uh, if the Broncos didn't have buzzards luck, they'd have no luck at all. Um, in addition to their various other problems, which uh, you and I have discussed and uh, Sean and I have talked about for, for years on end, uh, today Jerry Judy goes down mm. with apparently a pulled rather than torn hamstring. Uh, I don't know if they have yet conducted the MRI, but uh, we have our little spies yep. uh, out there. And uh, some of them actually are familiar with injuries like this. And from what we have heard, uh, he'll be out probably for at least a month. Mm. That seems to be the framework. And I notice you've got your uh, Miami Dolphin attire on. Yes, sir. The Broncos will be in Miami for week three. There is some hope that Jerry Judy will be able to return for that week three game. But it seems at the very least, he will not be available on opening day against the Raiders. He will not be available in week two against Washington. Two home games to start the season that are very important to the Broncos. And for the Broncos to lose a wide receiver in his last six games last year, caught 37 passes for 523 yards and three touchdowns, had a 154-yard season closing game, against the Chargers, and in week 14 had three touchdowns against the Chiefs, which uh, at that point was a career high and I suppose remains a career high for Jerry Judy. Uh, he had hamstring issues, as I recall, in the offseason that preceded the 2022 season. You know Jerry Judy from his Alabama days. Yeah. And finally, it seemed as if in the last six games last year he began to play in accordance with the position at which he was drafted, which was number 14 overall in the first round of the draft. He was the second receiver chosen behind another Alabama receiver, you know, who unfortunately is a little more infamous now than yes. famous, and that would be Henry Ruggs. But Judy was the number two draft choice uh, made among wide receivers uh, ahead of the likes of C.D. Lamb and Justin Jefferson, who have already become, if not all pros, on an annual basis. Justin Jefferson's best wide receiver in the league by acclamation. CeeDee Lamb is probably in the top ten. Yeah. 
Uh, I don't know if he's quite all pro, but he's certainly uh, one of the premier receivers in the league. Jerry Judy looked like that kind of player in the final six games last year. He has not had a great camp, and now he is out having uh, injured the hamstring on an end-around play today in practice, uh, the joint practice against the Rams. It's the uh, upper right leg, and he was uh, carted off the field, could put almost no weight on the leg, but uh, I guess the optimistic view is he'll be back in a month. But from a psychological point of view, he seemed to be the Broncos' best receiver coming out of last year. And even under uh, the terms that now exist in training camp for the Broncos, the wide receiver position, it's a major loss. It is. And those first two games are games they have to win right. if they have any playoff aspirations in 2023. Yeah. Well, something a lot of people don't realize is when we have injury to our body, physical injuries, yes knee, hamstring, ankles, whatever, shoulders, whatever it is, that there are stress hormones released. You know, um, very much there's there's cortisol is released, different stress hormones are released. There's also healing hormones that are released as well. But, you know, Jerry Judy does not need this on his resume. What I mean by that is um, he's had some hiccups. He's had some bumps in the road, you know, since he's been drafted very high. Um, you know, there's a GM, that, a former GM that we both know really well that um, really talked about not drafting a lot of Alabama players because he said, quote, unquote, they're wore out by the time yes, they get. damaged goods yeah. pretty much. Yeah, they, but they're the, wore the out. Two certainties. This is an old line that this has been uttered by more than just one, one person that uh, uh, he – that, it, that, that two things you can say about Alabama players that they'll get father at Alabama championships and injuries <laughs> and surgeries, right? Uh, the variation yeah, injuries and yeah. surgeries. One thing you'd be sure of you win a championship and you'll have surgery yeah. along the way. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think that's the case here. You know, we look, I look at him and I just think that, you know, we just hope he's been taking care of his body in the off season. And, and now he's going to have a chance to spend some time and think, and there's going to be a lot of a mental approach to recovery right now for him. And hopefully that'll get him on that parasympathetic side of the autonomic and in a calm state. So when he does come back, he can contribute right away because uh, this offense is going to need it. Uh, it. It was not a great combination of days for the Broncos no. as they practice with Rams in advance of their game on Saturday night. And uh, we will talk about. Uh, a lot of what is going on as camp basically officially closes today. The training yeah. camp portion of the preseason is now over. They'll play the game on Saturday night, and then it'll be on to uh, the regular season, which, uh, uh, believe it or not, will be uh, starting in very short order. Today is the 24th. That means we've got 17 days now between uh the end of the preseason or the training camp portion and opening day. And we'll talk about what happens during those 17 days. You're familiar with this yes, period I am. from your years of work with uh, the Dolphins as well as a number of other teams, both collegiate and professional. Dr. Rick Perea sitting in today for Sean Drotar. I'm Sandy Clough. Sandy and Sean continue on Mile High Sports.
Sandy Clough and Chantro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. I'm Sandy Clough, and for Sean Rotar today, sitting in Dr. Rick Perea from Think One, and we'll talk more about uh, Think One and uh, your most recent activities, but uh, I, I, I want to follow up on what we were talking about in terms of Jerry Judy's injuries, uh, injury in this case, the, the hamstring injury. He has had hamstring injuries before. Patrick Achilles tendon out for the year. Hamler, heart ailment, waived, released. Virgil, torn meniscus. Brendan Johnson, leg injury, just came back in the practice field today. Mims, two separate issues with his hamstrings. What does that tell you? Other than come back, Lauren Landau. Yeah, right. Yeah, I heard so many people say, well, they're going to get rid of Lauren Landau to cut down on all the injuries, but obviously they're that's not quite the case here. You know, I want people to understand you have the autonomic nervous system. You have the sympathetic and parasympathetic sides. And the parasympathetic is the calm side. The sympathetic side is the stress and anxiety side. And what people don't think about, when you're on that sympathetic side, the stressful side, the pituitary gland in the brain releases stress hormones. And those stress hormones make it more likely to become injured. So when you're on that sympathetic side. So it's not just benefiting you psychologically and emotionally to be on the parasympathetic side, the calm side, it's also benefiting you physiologically. And so when I hear that a team has a rash of injuries, then I look in part to the team psychologist. The team psychologist has to help regulate anxiety, keep players on the parasympathetic, because that will influence their physiology just as much as their psychology. And so when we talk about injury, Sandy, it doesn't just start from the neck down. It starts from the neck up. And when we understand the origin and the cause of the brain chemistry and how that plays a role in injuries, it gives us a clearer picture of what teams are emotionally and psychologically healthy. I think Tim Patrick worked as hard to come back from his ACL injury. Suffered on basically the same day a year ago in 2022 as the day he suffered the more recent torn Achilles tendon this year. Worked very, very hard. Half of that time was spent under the old medical staff, which is completely wiped out for a new staff, entirely new staff. And I know you're familiar. I I don't know if you're familiar with the people on both sides, but at least one of those sides, you're familiar with some of the people involved, the side that got, got fired, basically. Yeah. And you see six injuries at the wide receiver position. I think of Patrick in particular because his rehab was so rigorous. You almost wonder if he was pushed too hard too soon. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's a fair question. It is. To ask. It's and a I fair get question. casting blame, and the player always wants to push it. And it's what made me a little nervous about Javante Williams coming back within 10 and a half months of a torn ACL early last October. Now, he got some work on Saturday night in Santa Clara, came out of the game looking fine, feeling fine the next day. So it's all good. He's obviously not going to play on Saturday night, one of the many starters who will not play Mm -hmm. 
in the third and final preseason game. But some of these other injuries, you know, you, you look at it and they are soft tissue injuries. Yeah. Hamstrings. Right. Uh, you know, leg injury that Brendan Johnson had. And I think it's fair to wonder, again, the Broncos always seem in recent years to isolate a problem. And I'm not here to say that the problems they isolate aren't problems, but they aren't the only problems. And here, coming out of last year, we've heard that Nathaniel Hackett's coaching and his game management and maybe his demeanor in general was unsuited for a winning football team. As a first-time head coach, basically, he seemed not to know what he was doing. And that was primarily, if not exclusively, responsible for the Broncos going 5-12 and 12 last year. The other thing we heard was that the Broncos, and this is a fact, were one of the 10 most injured teams in the NFL for a four-year period, 2019 through 2022. So if you replace the medical staff, you'd reduce the injuries. And then the head coach, again, to me, quite sensibly, came out during the offseason and said, when we start OTAs, we're throwing a football away. And all we're doing for the first month is running and lifting. Because in the past, they put the football part out first. The conditioning has come after that, and guys are getting hurt. So we're going to reverse it. We're going to do everything differently. We're going to start with running and lifting, and then we'll get to the football stuff, mainly in training camp. That'll be when the football stuff is introduced. And, again, that made sense to me, but the result, and this is a results-oriented business, has been just as many injuries. It seems with the same kind of severity. Uh, Jerry Judy for, what's this now? His fourth year will again not start all 17 games. Yeah. Well, Sandy, here's what we need to understand. Anytime, like in psychology, that you look for an origin of behavior, we call it the etiology, the origin of behavior, you consider as many variables as possible. So let's say the player, they get there at 7 a.m. in the morning, and they probably in general will be there till 5 to 7 p.m. at night, okay, depending on each team is different. But then the rest of the time, they're at home. And there's a lot of differences in variation of how people take care of themselves. There's players that carry around a suitcase of vitamins and drinks, and they just they take care of themselves from head to toe. They get massages every night at home. They, they have a mental coach. They, and then there's other players that drive straight from the facility to the nightclub. Yeah. So, you know, you think about those guys taking care of their bodies as well. So there's a lot of variation within a team. So when we talk about this team tends to have injuries, okay, I get it. I understand the treatment they're getting at the facility. But let's remember they go home, and they're home for a good 15, 16 hours where they're able to eat either really well or not. Um, drink whatever they're drinking, 
um, get treatment or not. So there's a lot of individual variation. So usually players that tend to have injuries tend to have other challenges in their life as well. So if you look at all the variables considered, like on NPR, they have all things considered, all variables considered, you got to look at the individual players. And there are some players that, quote, unquote, have, have bad luck. But in general, I would bet that the people who tend to have the most injuries consistently are spending more time on that sympathetic side of the autonomic nervous system, which is the stress and anxiety side. And that's the staff's re responsibility to help keep that regulated and to help them understand how to do that through techniques and protocols. So, again, it comes down to staff. It comes down to everybody that, you know, every time a new coach comes in, he brings his guys in, his gals in, whoever it is. But the bottom line we've got to understand is our players off the clock better be handling yeah. themselves like professionals because if yeah. they're not, it will show up. And the point being, it, it, just changing out the medical staff, the strength and conditioning staff. It's not enough. There are other problems. There are other issues. There's six yeah. years of losing they're coping with. Yeah. And, and you know, with each staff, strength and conditioning staff, you're going to get some positives and some deficits. Every staff has benefits. It doesn't. Every, every pro NFL team that I've been with as a team psychologist, I've been able to watch their staffs, strength and conditioning staffs, their front office personnel, and you see positives. Oh, this is better than it was in Denver. It's better than it was in Miami, right. Cleveland, whatever. Right. But there's also deficits. So, again, it's very subjective in the way we choose our people. Sometimes it's we like them better. We get along better. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, at the, at the end of the day, when you have an organization like the Denver Broncos, who since that, two, you know, February 2016, since that world championship, there hasn't been a lot of achievement and performance on a high level. Not from, at all. From, I mean, there's been some individual. Yeah, um, but but as achievement, an or, as but, an organization, right. if you're in the front office of that organization, you better you better find out what's going to help you and you and perform at peak levels. Because I can tell you this: having spent the time at the Hall of Fame a few weeks ago, reconnecting with former players, talking to some of the new people with the Broncos. I just got to tell you, they're not doing everything they can. They're doing a lot of what they know. And here's the key, Sandy. It's ignorance when you don't know what you don't know. And if you don't know who the best people to bring in in particular areas are, then it's going to hurt you. And I got to tell you, you know, I, I, I um, when I was at the Hall of Fame, I was able to speak to some people with the Dallas Cowboys front office. And, man, they're, they're like – what do we got to do? What do we got to do to get here? What do we got to do there? Nobody from the Broncos asked me that. You know, they weren't beating the bushes. The Cowboys were beating the bushes. Now, I'm not saying the Cowboys are a better organization from top to bottom. That's not for me to say. But I'll tell you what. If I work for the Denver Broncos, I'm going to be beating the bushes and trying to find out in every department, strength and conditioning, psychological, the wellness piece mm -hmm. of the Denver Broncos, not only the psychological piece, but the wellness piece of the Denver Broncos. You have people in this city that can help that team, and they're not looking for them. There was a time when you worked at Alabama for yep. Nick Saban on a continuous basis. Yeah. They won all the time. Mm -hmm. Is it 
accurate to say that winning and losing can both become habitual and psychologically reinforcing. Yes. If it's happening over a period of five or six years, yes, and it's winning and winning and winning, and maybe not winning championships every year, but winning championships fairly regularly and always having a team that's in the mix among the top five, six teams in the country year after year after year. And by contrast, you have the Denver Broncos, who never in their NFL history have had as many as six consecutive losing seasons right. as they've experienced from 2017 through 2022. Isn't that also psychologically reinforcing? 100%. 100% because if I'm the GM or if I'm the EVP or if I'm an owner of the Denver Broncos, I'm going to go back and I'm going to look at that 2015 team. I'll say, what do we have? Now, of course, you're not going to bring John Elway back. I understand that. You're not going to bring Gary Kubiak back. I understand that. But what are the other elements that were going on within that organization? Ask Emmanuel Sanders. Why don't you ask Emmanuel Sanders why the Broncos won the Super Bowl that year? Why don't you talk to people like Danny Trevathan, Brandon Marshall, the inside linebackers, mm -hmm. DeMarcus Ware? These are the conversations we had at the Hall of Fame. What the 2015 Broncos had that I think has been missing ever since, Sandy, and unless we open up and say, you know what, let's check our ego at the door and let's figure out what they have that we don't right now and let's go out and get it. And let's go out and get it so we can bring this city another championship because as it is right now, it's floundering. It's floundering. You're starting quarterback. I look in his eyes and I see emptiness. I look in his eyes. Now it looks better, but I don't think it's, I don't think he is the answer. And so until the Broncos are really honest with themselves from top to bottom in their staffs, I don't think it's going to happen. You have become a radio veteran here, the Sultan of the Segway, <laughs> because when we come back, we're going to hear two opposing views, one from ESPN's Dan Orlovsky and the other from your old boss, Mike yep. Tannenbaum, who was the general manager of the Miami Dolphins when you were down in Miami working for the Dolphins, and they have distinctly different views of what will happen if indeed Russell Wilson in particular, the Broncos offensively in general, flounder at the start of the season and how Sean Payton will react and whether that makes psychological sense. They're two different arguments. Yeah. You'll probably agree with one more than the other, and we'll find out about... Uh, those two viewpoints and Rick's reaction to them next as we continue. Sandy and Sean, Mile High Sports, 98.1 FM, 107.5 HD3, streaming on milehighsports.com slash listen and the free MHS app. Now Paul is a real estate novelist who never had time for a wife. And he's talking with David. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Sandy Clough and Sean Rotar, of course. Sean is out today. He'll be returning tomorrow. Dr. Rick Perea is sitting in, and we're very fortunate to have Dr. Perea for the entire two hours today as uh, we come to you at 445 on this 
24th day of August, 2023. And we've been talking about uh, what, what has not been, to be perfectly honest, the kind of preseason that perhaps the Broncos had envisioned. I think the fans are more skeptical than the media or certainly the Broncos internally. And the fans are of a mood that they need to be shown something before they're ready to buy into whatever narrative is out there. And as we were discussing in the last segment, two of the narratives were that if you replaced Nathaniel Hackett with Sean Payton, you were at least 90% of the way towards solving the problem as if there was just a single problem with the Broncos last year. And that was coaching. Certainly coaching was a problem, but not the only problem as we have, I think discovered by now, even during the preseason. And the other idea was if you changed out the medical staff, the Broncos wouldn't be wiped out by injuries in the way they have been over the last four years preceding this one. And again, today, the bad news is that Jerry Judy was carted off the field with a hamstring injury. And the estimate initially is that he will be out for about a month, uh, maybe longer than that. Hamstrings are very tricky. And we don't know exactly what the severity of the injury is, but it was sustained during a joint practice with the Rams today as Judy was running an end-around play, and he injured the right leg and was putting almost no weight on it as he was carted off the field and then uh, led, helped uh, into the locker room. And it's one of uh, at least half a dozen injuries sustained by wide receivers either in the offseason or during training camp so far. Six injuries to various players, six different players at one position. But, of course, the question in training camp continues to center on Russell Wilson, about whom you spoke just a few moments ago, and even about the reason that Sean Payton was hired. Some contend that he was hired to fix Russell Wilson, first and foremost. After all, the Broncos gave up five draft picks and three players who at least for the Broncos started. And even for Sean Payton, they had to give up draft picks. They also signed Russell Wilson to a $245 million contract, uh, roughly $165 million of which was guaranteed. And last year was a total disaster. So there's the trade and there's the contract. Russell Wilson needed to be fixed. Okay. I guess if Sean Payton can't help him, maybe no one can. I'm willing to accept that. But at the same time, Russell Wilson has been in some degree of decline for a while now. And the idea that you could change out head coaches, change out your medical staff, Russell Wilson would get fixed, the team would win more games, and the injuries would all but disappear, at least the soft tissue type of injuries that have bedeviled the Broncos in recent years. 
Well, that doesn't seem to be happening so far. So it's back again to the question of what happens if the Broncos start slowly? And perhaps Wilson plays a little better than he did last year, but not a lot better, and the Broncos are still losing. Well, on ESPN earlier this week, former Miami Dolphin general manager, former New York Jet general manager Mike Tannenbaum spoke on that issue. You'll hear his voice first, and then you'll hear Dan Orlovsky, the ex-quarterback, responding to what Mike Tannenbaum has to say about basically how long a leash Russell Wilson has playing now for Sean Payton. Sean Payton is the guy they've turned the franchise over to. So how does this work now for the superstar quarterback? I would be shocked if Russell Wilson was the starter for 17 games this season, and here's why. The conversations that Sean Payton is having with ownership is year one is about culture and accountability. It's Bill Parcells' approach, and he's going to see Russell Wilson as an opportunity to hold players accountable. And when there's a bump in the road, Greeny, what's going to happen is he's really talking to Jerry Judy, Garrett Bowles, the young nucleus of this team, to say the standard is the standard. And if I bench Russell Wilson, I can bench you. And I know the way Sean thinks. The, he, I'm just telling you, if Russell Wilson has the smallest bump in the road, he will be benched, and Sean's going to look at it as an opportunity to set the culture and the standard moving forward. Dan. His mind is blown. He's just... <laughs> Go. I mean, hearing that is shocking, that in within two years, Mike T wouldn't be surprised if he's benched, because if you bench him, you're basically signifying... We're going in a different direction. We're going somewhere else. I agree with the whole accountability aspect, but to think that it's going to get so bad again that Sean Payton's going to go, don't care, we're going to bench him and put Jared. I'm not there, Mike T. I'm, I'm not. I'm not sitting here saying this guy's going to win MVP but, this year, but I think it's going to be a big improvement. Go, Mike, go. But here's why. Here's, here, yeah, here's Sean Payton's mindset, Dan. I didn't trade for him. I didn't mm-hmm. pay him, and mm-hmm. I'm going to find a better quarterback that works for us. So I'm under no mm-hmm. pressure to make Russell Wilson work. What I am under pressure to do is set the culture here, and that's why it's an opportunity for me to hold Russell Wilson accountable in the most transparent way, which is to bench him. All right, a lot to unpack there. You worked for Mike Tannenbaum in Miami. He was the general manager, and Adam Gase was the head coach. Yep. And you worked uh, uh, successfully uh, uh, for that that first season there, right? Yeah, uh, absolutely. You made the playoffs after a yeah. long playoff drought that went back, I think, to 2008 and 2016. Yeah. Dolphins are in, in the playoffs. So you know Mike Tannenbaum well, and Dan Orlovsky is, uh, is countering Mike Tannenbaum's argument. And actually the first voice you heard was that of Mike Greenberg, who's kind of the uh, anchor, uh, MC, as it were. And, uh, again, a lot to unpack there. I'll just let you have at it. A lot of terms thrown around, perhaps loosely, perhaps accurately. Yeah. What do you think? Well, I, first of all, let's talk about Mike and his personality and the way that he leads. I, I mean, this is a guy that literally said in, in several meetings, I lead with fear. And I thought he was kidding at first, but he really was being serious. And so I, I don't think Mike will be an employable GM going forward for the near future. But I would say this. I think 
part of what he says is true. He didn't pay Russell Wilson. He didn't. Sean know, sign. Payton didn't. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so he doesn't have. He's not on the hook for him. Right. I don't think he'll pull the hook that quickly in terms of if there's a hiccup or a bump in the road. I think if it gets to be habitual and it gets to be towards the mid season or the third quadrant of the season, then I think you do. But I don't think you pull the hook that quickly because just to set the culture, you can set the climate and culture, by the way, the climates today, cultures over time. <laughs> yeah. You don't set the climate and culture by benching your quarterback. You set the climate and culture by daily practices and norms and those things. And, and by the way, for all the listeners out there and the viewers, I just want to say that we have cultures by design and we have culture by default. There, I, I was presenting to a law firm up in Vail um, on Saturday, and I was literally telling them how to design their culture. If you look at the Broncos, the Broncos do not have a culture by design. So when you look at a plan for your quarterback, whether he's brought in through free agency, agency or the draft, you have a plan on the way to develop him. That comes in a culture by design, not a culture by default. And I think what the Broncos are suffering from right now is they have had cultures by default repeatedly with all these different head coaches. And what Mike Tannenbaum is doing is saying, essentially, they still have a culture by default because they're going to bench their quarterback as soon as they get a chance to set the culture. Mike knows that's not the way you set a culture, is by benching a quarterback and sent, sending a message. The way you set a culture is you have a plan. There's a three-tier plan that you can do, and it's done through leadership. It's done through process instead of outcome goals, and it's done through understanding there's a design, form, storm, norm, and perform. Everyone in organizational performance, the best, the top, the Fortune 50 companies, I mean, forget the Fortune 500, the Fortune 50 companies that generate the 50 top revenue in the world understand there's a performance model, form, storm, norm, and perform. And when you follow that uh, linear model, it gives you leeway to go forward, backwards, but it also helps you design a culture instead of have it by default because there's too many teams. I would say 25 out of 32 teams have a culture by default, and Denver's one of them. It was interesting to me that Mike Tannenbaum ascribes to Sean Payton the same kind of philosophy that he holds, and I suppose to Bill Parcells as well, that the idea behind benching Russell Wilson might be to scare the daylights out of the Jerry Judys and Garrett Bowles of the world. Lead by fear. Didn't I say that at the beginning? There you go. I mean, Mike is Mike is notorious. But he's ascribing that to Sean Payton. Yeah, I know. Well, you, slash Bill Parcells. He says, I, you yeah. heard him in that snippet. Right. I know what Sean's thinking right now. Yeah. Okay. Mike's been a GM for a long enough time in the NFL where he knows a lot of people who know him and who know other people. So I would say to him, the only way I would correct that is you think you know what he's thinking. And I, I would give Sean the benefit of the doubt that he has grown and learned over the years, and maybe he doesn't ascribe to the same style that Mike has adhered to his whole career, and that is through, peer, through fear mm -hmm. and through uh, autocratic leadership. We'll come back. Chris Thomason will join us from the Denver Gazette coming up, and uh, we'll get the latest from Chris on uh, any news following the rather – Discouraging development this morning. That practice, yet another receiver down, and he is the most important receiver of them all. Jerry Judy injured today and will apparently miss at least a month 
which will take him out of at least the first two games of the regular season. That's all coming next. Sandy and Sean on Mile High Sports.